Oh, and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. We're going to just take one verse, John 8, 37, and we're going to explore that together. Uh, it says this, you are looking for a way to kill me. This is Jesus speaking to the crowd because you have no room for my word. And we want to explore what it means to have room for Jesus to do that. I want to start backwards. I want to start with our question for reflection. And uh, it's this. How do the words and character of Jesus shape our lives? How have we recognized or acknowledged that we have been changed by who Jesus is and what he taught? Gerard Kelly says this. Changed people change people. And the people they change change the world. What does that mean? What he's saying is that to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be changed. And that if you are changed, you can change others. And if we change others, then we change the world. But we can't change anyone unless we ourselves have been changed by an encounter with Jesus. So how do the words and character of Jesus shape our lives? But secondly, do we use the Bible to back up our ideas? Or does the Bible change how we see things? When was the last time the Gospels changed our values, beliefs, or behavior? I suspect that most of us watching or listening to this study would say, yes, the Bible changes me. But do we use it to, to support what we already think? Or do we let it change what we think? As part of this study, I did a little reflection. And I made a list of the things I have changed my mind on. From when I was 18. When I was 18, I'd been a Christian for maybe three or four years approximately. And I thought I knew everything. And I made a list of the things that now I would say I've changed my mind on. At least I, I gave up writing the list after 20 things. 20 things where I would say I now have been changed in my outlook because of my encounter with Jesus. And I wonder what your list would be. Very often it feels that those who would call themselves evangelicals, they would call themselves people who are submissive to Scripture, are not being changed by Scripture. They're simply looking for Scriptures that justify their own ideas. And I want to explore what it means to be changed because of these words in John 8 and 37. I know you are Abraham's descendants, he says, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. And it's this phrase, no room, I want to explore, that they, had, they weren't going to allow the words and the message of Jesus into their lives because if they did, it was going to change them. Why might we have no room for Jesus' words? It may be because we've got our own plans already formed. We've set out our own agenda for our life and we know the way we want it to be. We know what we want from life. And we'll pick the bits of the Bible that support that and we'll ignore the bits that challenge it. Our own ideas have already become fixed. At the end, I'm going to share with you my list of 20. Yeah, that may send you to sleep. It may startle you. It may shock you. 
But I want to encourage you to be able to do the same. And I hope that in 10 years' time, I will have a list of 30 things. Because an encounter with Jesus has to change me. I don't want to be like these people of whom Jesus would say, you've got no room left for my word. They had no intention to listen or reconsider. They had no desire to be changed by Jesus. There was no room for his word. And they had an Old Testament faith. And here's the challenge as to some of us who would call ourselves Christians and, how many, and some of us call ourselves perhaps evangelicals is how much of that faith is Old Testament and we're not changed by Jesus and we don't understand how he came to reveal the fullness of God and to correct the misunderstandings that simply having the Old Testament brought. So how do we make room for the word of Jesus? How do we allow him to change us? I want to suggest a number of things. The first is this, the routine of confession, of establishing within ourselves a discipline and a habit of, of self-assessing ourselves and saying, God, where have I fallen short of what you intended for me as a disciple, a follower, a copier of Jesus? So let me perhaps to ask this question. Where today have we encountered the kinds of people that Jesus encountered and how have we responded? Has it been in a way similar to Jesus or in a way that's different? So let me just throw out some different types of people who Jesus encountered and who he inspires his disciples to respond to in specific ways. So the routine of confession is to say, where today have we encountered the sinful? Those who have broken God's commands. Where today have we encountered the lost? Those who have... Uh, lost their path and way in life and lost an understanding of what God wants for them. Where have we today encountered the stranger, someone we didn't know from a different culture and a different background and a different experience to us? Where today have we encountered enemies, people who we find difficult? And where today have we encountered wealth. Now I've just chosen those five things because I think they are five key areas where Jesus has something very specific to say to us and our culture and the culture and religion of the Old Testament that is challenging. And therefore if we're going to make room for Jesus, the real touch point is going to be in these four or five areas. So the question is in this routine of confession is where are our behaviors unlike Jesus in these areas? Where is our behavior unlike Jesus towards the sinful? Where is our behavior unlike Jesus towards the lost? Where is our behavior unlike Jesus 
towards the stranger? Where is our behavior unlike Jesus towards our enemies? Where is our behavior unlike Jesus towards wealth? I put the picture there, if you've got the video rather than the podcast, I put a picture of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. Because in many ways, Zacchaeus embodies all of these five groups. A tax collector who had betrayed his people. Where is our behavior different? Where Jesus comes alongside the sinful and seeks to be their friend, such that he's criticized for being the friend of sinners. Is that how we're seen and understood? Is that the criticism that will be leveled of us? You know, they're a friend of sinners. Where Jesus' behavior was to seek the lost, to look for them, to go out and search for them and to save those who were lost. Is that our behavior? Where Jesus' behavior was to welcome the stranger to welcome the Samaritan, the person of a different race or religion, and to make them feel that they belonged in his friendship group. Is that our behavior? And where Jesus' behavior was to say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. As they tore up his clothes and spat upon him and put a crown of thorns on his head and whipped him. Is our behavior to those who oppose us the behavior of Jesus? And as Jesus chose simplicity, did not store up for himself treasures on earth, but simply lived with what he needed, is our behavior the same as Jesus? And underneath our behaviors will be our attitudes. So if we're going to make room for the word of Jesus, it's allowing the message, the word of his teaching and the word of his life to change our attitudes. So where are our attitudes unlike Jesus? Particularly, say, our attitude to the sinful. Are we full of condemnation? Do we blame? Do we judge? Do we criticize? Or do we reject judgment and seek just to draw alongside? What is our attitude towards the sinful? If we are changed by the word of Jesus, if we're making room for his word, we will want to be people who are not of condemnation, who are not pushing away the sinful, but seeking to transform them by love. What is our attitude towards the lost? Is it one of apathy? I'm not being bothered. I'm knowing, yes, there's lots of people who don't know God, but it doesn't matter and it's not my problem. Because if we're going to make room for the word of God and the word of Jesus in our lives, we're going to have the same concern and love and motivation and passion to see the lost found. What is our attitude towards the stranger? Is it one of fear? 
where we're afraid of those we don't know, afraid of those who look different to us, afraid of those who are a different generation to us, afraid of those who are a different color to us. Because if we want to make room for Jesus in our lives, then that fear has to be overcome. And we have to welcome the stranger in the name of Jesus and reach out to those we don't know. And what is our attitude towards our enemies? Is it bitterness? Is it resentment? Is it unforgiveness? Is it blame? Because if we're going to be shaped by, the, by Jesus, then we have got to have mercy and grace and forgiveness in the way we see those who hurt us. And when we encounter wealth, what is our attitude? Is it that of envy? If only we had as much as others, if only we had what they have. Or is it to be changed by Jesus and to allow his attitude to wealth, his desire to live simply and to share with those in greater need that which he had. So how do we make room for the word of Jesus? The first thing is a routine of self-analysis, of confession, of reflection, of saying, how does what I do and think measure up to who Jesus was and what he taught? Where is there a difference? Because to make room is to say, okay, I've got it wrong. I'm going to receive and bring in something different and be changed by it. Gay Nuts says this, openness is essentially the willingness to grow, a distaste for ruts, eagerly standing on tiptoe for a better view of what tomorrow brings. So the second thing I want to suggest in making room for Jesus is to assess our desire to be changed by him. How much do we really want to be different because we've encountered Jesus? We've encountered his character and we've encountered his teaching. How satisfied are we with our own lifestyle? Because if we're content and we feel that I've got nowhere left to grow, I'm perfect, I've reached the summit of perfection as a Christian, then we will make no room for Jesus. And we would hear his words, you've made no room for me. How motivated are we to be different? How yearning are we to say, Lord, change me? It's not easy. Because in our desire to be changed by Jesus, we will find that life plans may change. And so we may want to ask ourselves, what are the things the ambitions, the goals that we've matched out, that we say are unnegotiable, Jesus. You can't change these things. This is what I want to do with my life. If we make room for God's word, we allow him to set our goals. A disciple says, here I am, Lord. What would you have me do? A religious person says, here are my goals, God. Make them happen. And there's no room for his word. 
And as we seek to assess our desire to be changed by Jesus and question ourselves whether we really want to allow God's word to change us, another question we'll need to ask ourselves is what embarrassment would we feel in changing? Because to be changed by Jesus means to admit and acknowledge that we hadn't got it right before. In my list that you'll see in 20 areas, some of you will have heard me teach things that I now no longer think were quite right. That's slightly awkward. That's slightly embarrassing. Actually, it's less embarrassing than teaching you the same stuff I thought when I was 18. But are we prepared to admit things? Are we prepared to admit that things are different. What admittance of error or ignorance would it be difficult to admit and own up to? What disagreements with respected role models would be painful to face? I put this question in because I think sometimes we don't want to be changed by Jesus because it would mean denying those people who taught us faith it would mean disagreeing with them. Many of the things I've come to believe now are the opposite of what the first people who led me to Christ taught me. And that can be painful. It can be painful when we really are grateful for their input into our lives. To say, I don't think you had everything right. Now, if they are true disciples of God, then I think they would say, great, I'm glad that you are able to see my weakness. And certainly, if you said to me, there are things that I now understand in Jesus that I didn't learn from you, Donald, I would be pleased that you are meeting with Jesus on your own and growing. I don't want you to have my faith. I want you to have your relationship with Jesus. So what disagreements might we have to go through and say, I, was, I love you and I love what you did in my life, but I don't see this particular thing the same way anymore. So we have a routine of confession and we assess our desire to be changed by Jesus because to, allow, to make room for his word is a conscious decision to say, Jesus, come in and change me. Third thing to do is to look for the anger within can you remember that they say, you, he says to them, you are looking for a way to kill me. They are so angry that his words are challenging him. It creates a response. So sometimes it's good to try and see, well, where are we getting angry about things? Because sometimes it's easier to silence the voice than to change. It's easier to say, we don't want to hear that. Shut up. And that's sometimes an indication as to where we're not making room for his word. So where have you been angry with my teaching or the teaching of our church? Where have you felt really cross that this has been said? Maybe that's what Jesus has been saying. And we ask ourselves, why were we angry? What challenged us? What made us feel uncomfortable? What disturbed us? How do we make room for the word of Jesus? We have a routine of confession. We assess our desire to be changed by him. And we look for anger within. And third, fourthly, we need to measure every teaching that we can only justify with Old Testament verses. And I say that 
quite determinedly. We believe in Jesus. And he shapes and changes the Old Testament's interpretation for us. And if there is a theology or a doctrine or a precious idea that we can only justify from the Old Testament, we need to hold it very, very lightly. Do we know the places where Jesus contradicts the interpretation that was given to the Old Testament? Now, he's not changing the Old Testament, but he is contradicting in places the way it was understood and therefore the way sometimes religion still understands it. And is there things that we hold dear that we discover that Jesus hardly mentions? And we think it's vital that Jesus doesn't seem to refer to. And do we know the things that he endorses? Because we need, if we're going to make room for the word of Jesus in our lives, we need to copy these things and stand against the misinterpretations of the Old Testament to not emphasize as much the things that he doesn't emphasize and to endorse the things that he endorses. And I certainly found that very challenging when I went through the theologies and the doctrines that I hold dear and said, how many of these are really, really found in Jesus? The next thing I want to suggest is in making room for the word of Jesus, is being able to understand and explain those who we think are wrong. Because sometimes Jesus is speaking through the people who are different to us. And it's good for us to be able to, on a doctrinal issue, on a theological issue, to say, this is why other people think that way. And in doing that, understanding an alternative, not only listening to the people who reinforce what we want to hear, but being able to try to understand the people who are saying things that we find difficult to hear, we may hear the word of Jesus. Remember my question was whether we use the Bible to justify our own ideas and to cement everything that we've already decided we're never going to change. That's not making room for Jesus. But we make room for Jesus when we understand those who are suggesting that Jesus might be saying something different. Now we still may end up saying that's not what we think Jesus means. But in the process of being able to listen to alternatives, God may be able to speak through the prejudices that we have decided are unnegotiable for us. And so the last thing in making room for Jesus is to seek to be changed, is to say, here I am, I've been a Christian uh, for 40 years, here I am, and I still need to let you change me. I still have things I don't quite understand. I still have things I haven't grasped enough. I still need to grow. Let's make room for the word of Jesus in our lives. Let's make room for him changing us. John Henry Newman says this, change can be good because change means growth. In a higher world, it is otherwise. But here below, to live is to change. And to be perfect is to have changed 
often. So our final questions of reflection. How do the words and character of Jesus shape our lives? And when was the last time the Gospels changed our values, beliefs, or behavior? And if we can't think of it, then there is a danger that we haven't made room for the word of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to change. Help us to be impacted and transformed and renewed daily by an encounter with Jesus. By the life you lived, by the words you taught, change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.